We're going to be starting over in Psalms 100 here this morning. There were two men who were walking through a field one day and all of a sudden they spotted a raging mad bull. And he got them in their sights. And they immediately looked around and found the nearest fence and took off for it. And as they were running, the bull was you know, charging after them. And it pretty soon became apparent they were not going to make it to the fence before the bull caught up with them. And so the one guy was running and says, John, you need to pray. You need to make a prayer. And, and John said, I've never made a public prayer in my life. He says, well, this bull's about to catch up with us. You better pray something. He said, the only prayer I have ever known is the prayer my dad used to make before we ate. And so he began to pray that. <laughs> oh, Lord, for what we are about to receive, make us truly thankful. <laughs> We threatened about this service some time ago, and it's about, uh, about time for it to come about. We're going to be starting a series here today on gratefulness, thankfulness, just being grateful to God. Sometimes we have, we've lost sight of being grateful. We talked about that in the series before this and said, well, there's more on this and we needed to get into it. And we, we're going to spend some time getting into, into that. But in Psalms 100, verse 4, it says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. But how often do we enter into his courts with grumbling and complaining? How many times do we come to the gates with what we don't have? Oh, I'm lacking this. Oh, I don't have that. How many times have we come to prayer and instead of spending time in thanksgiving and praises, we spend time with, Oh, Lord, I need this. Oh, Lord, I'm in trouble. Oh, Lord, this is going on. And we spend the whole beginning part doing what? <laughs> Does it say enter into His gates with complaining? Enter into His gates with requests. Doesn't say that, does it? It says, enter into his gates with? But I don't feel like it. How many of you have ever been there? I mean, most times you're coming to prayers because something's going on, right? <laughs> something's going on and I, it's got me emotionally and I just don't always feel like coming into his gates with thanksgiving. So I want to come into his gates another way. Instead of going through the gates, let's go over the wall. Let's turn underneath. But he says, enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. Be thankful to him and bless his name. But in our prayers, can we do, would this truly describe our prayers? Be thankful to him and bless his name. Or do we come and pray before him and say, Lord, why are you doing this to me? Why is this happening? How come this hasn't happened yet? I've been waiting Does that describe be thankful to Him and bless His name? It seems we're missing it this way a whole lot. And then we wonder, why are the storehouses not opening up? Why are the windows not quite there? As we were just giving that word here this morning. Why is it not quite there? Because we come into His gates, how? But we should come into His gates. And into His courts. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. Oh, how it would change us if we just came before Him when the doctor gave us a bad report. When the bills look like they're bigger than the paycheck. 
When, when things broke, they weren't supposed to break. Amen. When stuff went on, when friends let us down, when the country is going this way, when the job's going another way, <laughs> and we got all that stuff going on be- inside, and we come before Him and say, Father God, I'm just here to bless Your name. I'm just here to praise You. And some voice comes whispering in our head, what in the world are you doing with the way things are? What are you saying stuff like that for? Because the Word of God says, enter into His gates with and into His courts. Be thankful to Him and bless His name. That's because that's what the Word says and you're being obedient to the Word. How easy is it for us to get unobedient to the Word? But you don't understand how I feel right now. I need to just come to God this way. Oh, well, just just today what? Just rip that page right out of your Bible. Right? There's no sense in having it around. Just rip it right out. Just take the whole... Well, I know you get some extra verses in there, but if you're not listening to that one, you may not listen to those either. Just rip it right out. Take it right out of there. One of those my favorite movies I saw was... Uh, you've heard me talk about it before, but that uh, Robin Williams, first one he ever did serious. And uh, the uh, Dead Poet Society. And he gets up there teaching them poetry and has them open up that, that book and it has the outline of how uh, Mr. Pritchard, I think his name was, uh, describes how to d- determine the value of a poem. And they begin reading this thing and he tells them all to do what? Rip it out. And they all the kids that, what? Because they don't rip things out of books in this school. Rip it out. Well, you need help? <laughs> rip. I'm going to hear Ripping. Rip, rip. And then suddenly the kids all get a hold of it and they start ripping and throwing the things up in the air. And then, of course, the principal comes on down the hall and fun things go on after that. But it doesn't matter what it is that tells you what's going on. The Word of God has said, enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with praise. If what you need is where He is, then you need to get where He is the way he says. Amen. Stop coming into where he is the way you want. You don't let your kids do that, do you? If your kids come in the door and slam the door, what do you say? Go back out and come back in the right way. Don't you say that? If the kids come in and track mud all over the place, what do you say? Go out. You don't come in here with shoes like that. Don't we expect our kids to come in the house certain ways? Not slam the door. Not be shouting. Not bleeding. It's always a good one. They don't come through the door bleeding. <laughs> we expect them to come through the door certain ways. Well, God does too. Colossians chapter 3, verse 15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which you were also called in one body and be thankful. doesn't say... You know, Become thankful. He says, be thankful. Amen. Be thankful. Just be that way. Be, stop trying to make yourself become thankful. Oh, I'm getting before the gate, gates of God. i got to become thankful. God wants us to be thankful. Because if you be thankful, when you come to the gates, you can just enter in. Because you are. Because you have been. You have become. You, you have an eternal state of being Thankful. Let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you are called in one body and be thankful. Be thankful. 
This is what we are supposed to be. I brought a couple of things with me here today. One of those things is there was a big advertising campaign that went on. The Gatorade did. They still sometimes, I think, have some of those on there. And it even says it right on the label. Anybody want to take a gander at what it says? Is it in you? There you go, yeah. Is it in you? Remember the, the, the guys sweating the black and white commercials, but they're sweating the colored Gatorade. You know, whatever color they drank. If they drank orange Gatorade, they're sweating orange. They drank green Gatorade, they're sweating green. I don't like green Gatorade. I never liked green Gatorade. For a while, that was the only flavor you had was green Gatorade. I despised Gatorade for the fact that I didn't like the green stuff. Then glory to God, they came out with orange. Far better. <laughs> then they have, now they have a thousand flavors, I think. And you can uh, go out there and get it. But the, the whole thing was based on, is it in you? Because when you're out there and you are pushing it, what is in you is going to come out. That was their whole idea. What is in you is going to come out. There's another folks that had some other advertising going on. You don't like Gatorade? You may like Snapple. <laughs> now, Snapple started a campaign and they, they what's, what is inside of Snapple? All the good stuff. Now, they were, they were advertising, we have all the good stuff. All the good stuff's right here. Then they came out with a new campaign. You know what the new campaign was? The good stuff just got better. There you go. We got better stuff. I love that commercial. I thought we had good stuff. We found better stuff. <laughs> it looks the same. It's better. <laughs> but they come on out. They have, they have good stuff. So what's inside of a Snapple? Good stuff. So if you open up the jar of Snapple, what's going to come out? And if you drink the Snapple, what's going to go in you? Good stuff. Gatorade doesn't make that same claim. <laughs> it's just asking if it's in you. But Snapple says, we got the good stuff. Is it in you? Well, we got to find out, is the good stuff in us? Because there's some good things that are supposed to be a part of us, so that when pressure comes on, it's what comes out. See, how many of y'all like orange juice? You get orange juice because it is in the orange, but it only comes out of the orange when you squeeze, squeeze them, press them. You've got to squeeze the orange. And when you squeeze an orange, you don't get apple juice. You don't get prune juice. You get orange juice. Orange juice is distinctly different from what's on the outside of the orange. I don't like to eat the outside of the orange. I like to drink the inside. What's in you? Well, what's inside? What is the good stuff? Here, I'll put some things in there. And you can add others. There's other stuff in there. Basically, you can just go back to the characteristics of love and, and look at all that in 1 Corinthians 13. But what is the good stuff? Love is good stuff, isn't it? Gratefulness, thankfulness, long-suffering, kindness, humility, faithfulness, steadfastness. All of these are good things. This is good stuff. This is the stuff that should be in us. But how many of you all know when... Emotional pressure comes, I get angry, I get hurt, I get one way or the other. And it's not always this stuff that's coming out. And you, and you say, well, I only got angry because I was upset. Oh. 
Go back over to Colossians chapter 3 and verse 15 because you've got to write something in the margin. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts to which also you were called into one body and be thankful except when you're upset. <laughs> except when you're hurt. Except when something pushes your buttons. That's not in there though, is it? We should throw out our Bibles and get a new translation. One that has those in there. He just says, and be thankful. Is an angry person thankful? <laughs> Is a hurt person thankful? Is a depressed person thankful? Hello. So when we get into these things, something has occurred. Something has changed. So what is a grateful person? But before we look at what is a grateful person, let's take a look at what an ungrateful, unthankful person is. First, their focus is on what is lacking. An ungrateful, unthankful person focuses on what is lacking, what I don't have. They focus on what others have not done. How many of y'all know ungrateful, unthankful people are always talking about what someone else did not do for them? They didn't come through for me there. They didn't do this. I didn't get that. They're always focused on what could be better. How you doing today? Well, it could be better. Right? How you feeling today? Not as good as yesterday. Our focus is on what could be better. Our fo their focus is on what they earned. I deserve that. I should have that. That's mine. That's not yours. That's mine. I earned it. They feel angry and cheated. Ungrateful, unthankful people feel angry and cheated. So the next time you focus on what is lacking, the next time you have focusing on what others have not done, what could be better, what you have earned, or you feel angry or cheated, you can just look yourself in the mirror and say, I am not thankful. I am not thankful. We were watching that show. I haven't seen it in a while. Somehow we turned, came upon it and we watched that show. Now, are you smarter than a fifth grader? And they had a kindergarten teacher on. Glory to God, somebody could probably answer these questions, huh? Kindergarten teacher on. And she was firing back on all those questions. I'll tell you what, they asked her the question, bang, she hit the thing. And anybody see that one? I don't know if it was a regular one or a re-one. I don't know what it was, but anyway, it was the one we just caught the, kind of a part of it. I didn't even see the beginning part of it, but got all the way down to the end just firing off these questions. I don't think she got help at all. At least I didn't see her get any help. I see her go all the way to the end and just answer every question. Kindergarten teacher. She knew her stuff. Then she came to the part at the end where she had a, you know, she could go for the, the double it or whatever. It wasn't a million dollar one. It was a hundred and ninety some thousand dollars that she could go for. It was, it was different from the way I usually see it. But anyway, this is how this one was done. Maybe because she was a teacher, they figured, you know, it wasn't fair that she could go for a million. <laughs> so whatever it was, she got out to that spot and she uh, had the choice. Do you want to make the decision to double it? And she says, no, I, my, I was always taught that, you know, a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. So I'm going to take the, money I have because there's more money I came in with and I'm just going to go home. And so at the end, because they always make them agree at the beginning that at the end you will say, I am, not I am not smarter than a fifth grader. 
And so just as she promised, she got right up there and said, I am, I have been a kindergarten teacher for how many years? She just retired. She said, I am not smarter than fifth grade. And I'm thinking, yes, you sure are. What are you talking about? You got every one of them questions right. They didn't stump you at all. But she held true to her word. She got up there and she said that. See, we had to sometimes get to where we'll look ourselves in the mirror and say, I am not being thankful. I am not in a state of gratefulness. I am not walking the way that I should. And if I want the windows of God's storehouses to be open, if I want His doors to be open to me, if I want to come into His gates, if I want to come into His courts and get what He has, I need to be thankful. I need to be grateful. That's how I need to come in. I need to come in with thanksgiving. I need to come in with praises. I need to be thankful to Him and bless His name. This is what I need to do. I may not want to. I may not like to. But the Word of God is not about you doing what you want to. It's about yielding to Him and doing what He says because what He says is better. Last characteristic here, they find themselves left out. Ungrateful, unthankful people generally find themselves left out. This is not a comprehensive list. You could probably still keep adding things on here till next Sunday. Describing ungrateful, unthankful people. But you get the idea. So let's take a look at some grateful, thankful people. First, this is just going the opposite of what we just uh, did in the other list. First, they focus on their blessings. They're not focused on what is lacking. They are focused on what have I been blessed with. You can tell a person who has gotten into that state of being thankful, gotten into that state of being grateful, that's how they are because you come up to them and say, what's going on? Good things. Good things are happening, yes. Things are going well. They don't immediately go into all the gripes and groans and complaints. They go into what's going on, it's good. They focus on their blessings. They focus on their assisting and helping. Not what others have not done. But what can I do for other people? They focus on those kind of things. Instead of focusing on what could be better, they're seeing, they're focused on what they have been spared. What have I been spared? Well, I'll tell you what, God kept me safe today. Things just went smooth. I'll tell you what, if anything tried to come against me today, I wouldn't know it. My God's just up there. He's keeping me safe. I've got these things going on. They're focused on what they can give. They're not focused on what they've earned. They're focused on what can I give. What do I have in the storehouse? What do I have in my storehouse that I can give? That's what they focus on. This is the characteristic of grateful people. Thankful people. They feel joy, gladness. They feel blessed. That's how they feel. They're not over there feeling angry and cheated. They feel joy. They feel gladness. If you say, I don't feel joy. I don't feel gladness. Guess what? <laughs> Get into the side of being grateful. Get into the side of being thankful. Enter into His gates with thanksgiving. Enter into His courts. Be thankful to Him and bless His holy name. That's the key. That's how you get in. They find ways to reach out. They're not being left out. They find ways to reach out. Ungrateful people are sitting in the corner saying, no one's paying attention to me. Grateful people are looking out, what can I do? Who can I reach out to? Who can I help? That's the difference in the focus. 
Now, how many of you are Star Wars fans? I'm not a Star Wars fan. I'm a Star Trek fan. And generally, if you are a Star Trek fan, you're not a Star Wars fan. And if you are a Star Wars fan, you're not as big of a Trekkie. Now, there are some who like both. There are some who like both. And, and both of those people are very special. <laughs> now, there are some people who like both. I'm, I'm one. I could care less if Star Wars was on the TV or not. It wouldn't phase me. I'd flip past it faster than anything. But Star Trek comes on. Oh, hold on. Hold on. I don't care which one it was either. I like them all. There's just, a, there's just a, something different about that whole thing. But the Star Wars thing, they had the dark side. They had the force out there. And that now it all comes from Zen Buddhism. That's where they got all that from. Uh, I don't know if you knew that, but that's where they, uh, the, the person who... Um, I forgot the creator of it, but he's actually a Zen Buddhist, and he actually took some of that teaching and put it right into the George Lucas. He actually took that and put it out into the into the movie, um, and that's where the, the idea of the Force came from, in the dark side and the good side, and how you know the the dark side could be stronger, but you know the good side had to you had to had to stay there. There was always a pull to go over to the dark side, and once you went to the dark side, you aren't coming back. And that's their idea of it. But what about the dark side here? I mean, if we look at being grateful as being the right side, being ungrateful is the dark side. And it seems sometimes it's hard to get people going over to the dark side to get them to come back. They've gone over the side of being ungrateful, unthankful. They're focused on what is lacking, what others have not done, what could be better, what they've earned. They feel angry, they feel cheated, and then find themselves left out. And once they get over there, it just seems so hard to get them to come on back to the other side and to be grateful. To be on that side. But that's where we need to get them. We're going to look at a couple examples here. First one is Adam and Eve in Genesis chapter 3. Now the servant was more cunning than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, God, has God indeed said you shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat it, nor shall you touch it, lest you die. We all know he didn't say that. He said you shall not probably perfectly fine for them to climb on that tree, do anything they wanted to around that tree, just don't eat it. But, anyway, that's what, she's, that's what she knew, that's what she thought. Then the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate, and the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. When Adam and Eve are in the garden, now picture the garden. You don't have a boss. You don't have a time clock. It's sunny all the time. It's nice weather all the time. It's not cold. I mean, they didn't need clothes. It's not hot. It's not cold. It just seems to be right. There's trees all over. There's fruit and stuff growing all over the place. Plenty of food, all that you want to eat. God just says, you know, go out there and tend the garden, care for it a little bit, and you know, do some stuff with it. And and uh, so they went out there, and they, you know, it wasn't an excruciating amount of work they had to do, but there was some work that they they were going to do. And and I mean, y'all know it's nice to be busy. Sitting around all day with nothing to do is not fun. So God gave them something to do. So they had some things to do and they could work on these things together. 
they could go apart and, and work on it apart and, and come together and talk about how, how their day went and how things went. We're, we're, we're going. How many of you would be grateful to be in that kind of environment? How many would like to be in that kind of environment right now? This would be, this would be glad. So what had to happen? Because right now they are grateful for the environment they're, they're in. They walk and talk with God. I mean, forget the beautiful fruit trees and the nice sunsets and all that sort of stuff. They walk and talk with God. Oh. Amen. Now, we will talk more about this Garden of Eden because coming up here on Wednesdays, we're going to be starting a new series there as well. And in that series, is going to be on the book of Genesis. Now, we're not going to cover the whole book of Genesis because we've covered most of the book of Genesis in, uh, of recent times from uh, Abraham and uh, all his sons and things that were going on that. But we haven't covered some of the other things in the beginning, and so we're going to focus on those parts in the beginning. And we'll get more into what the Garden of Eden was like. We already went over in one of the Wednesday nights before where it is. And if you were here, you know where the Garden of Eden was. It's not hard to, to figure that out, not unknown where it was. But we'll look at how beautiful, because the, the amount of beauty that was in the Garden of Eden is un. Kenny, unbelievable the beauty that was part of this garden. And God made it. And we see some of the ways that he made it and some of the things that are described about how God made it. You will grab a, a full understanding of how special not only the garden was, but how special this planet is when you understand how God created this earth. So we'll get into that in Wednesday nights coming up here soon. We're done our other series. We're moving on into into this one. This one I've been this series I've been waiting on for a little while. But every every uh, week I would come to it. And, oh, there's one more thing to get into in the other. One, oh, there's one more thing to get into the other. And so I didn't get anything more for this one. So we're just moving into into this part here. But I'm sure that they were grateful for what they had. And grateful people, folks, are hard to get to sin. Husbands and wives don't fall into adultery unless they become ungrateful for their spouse in some way or another. Somehow you have to become ungrateful in order for the devil to get in. So this is what the devil had to do. And this is his tactic. He had to first off make them ungrateful for what they had. Look at what he does. You will not surely die. Verse 4, for, verse 5. For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. In other words, the state you have right now is good. But it's not as good as it could be. There's something more for you out there. And Eve begins to contemplate this. And look at what Eve says. Verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, did she already know that? And that it was pleasant to the eyes, did she already know that? And a tree desirable to make one wise, did she know that? No. The only way she knows this is because the serpent told her that. So she accepted it. So right there we know that she has become ungrateful, unthankful, because what she is saying is, I am not wise. 
I have all these other things, but I lack wisdom. And if I eat of this tree, I will get the one thing that I lack. If the devil wants to come in and get something going on in your life, he comes in and gets you ungrateful, unthankful. Because in that atmosphere, he can sow. He had to first get Eve to the point where she was ungrateful for what she had. He has to get spouses ungrateful for the spouse they have. He has to get fathers and mothers ungrateful for the families they have. He has to get people ungrateful for the job that they have. He has to get you ungrateful for the friends that you have. Ungrateful for the church that you have. Ungrateful for the fellowship that you can share in. Ungrateful for the car that you have. Ungrateful for the pay that you get. Ungrateful for the bank that you have. Ungrateful for the phone service that you have. If he can get you ungrateful and sow seeds that something better is out there, something greater, and you're missing out by hanging on to this, then all of a sudden we are open. She became open. And the eyes of both of them were opened and they knew that they were naked and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Understand this. They were grateful and suddenly became ungrateful. It is not always a gradual thing. You can become gradually ungrateful, unthankful, but more often than not, suddenly you become ungrateful. When that thought comes in that that tree could make me wise. I could have that. Even though so-and-so says I shouldn't. I could have that. Would the temptation have worked if they remained grateful? The only way this temptation worked is because Adam and Eve became ungrateful for what they had. So once the devil creates an atmosphere of ungratefulness, unthankfulness, they are then open to sin. And there's his opportunity. Now, we could keep going through the Word of God and just about every single situation that you find temptation, people succumbing to, to, to temptation, you will find at its root ungratefulness, unthankfulness. When Israel comes into the desert and finds no water, they are ungrateful and grumble and complain. When they find no food, they are ungrateful and grumble and complain. And they say to God, have you brought us out here to kill us? Ungrateful, unthankful for what's going on. When Abraham has been blessed by God immensely, he is rich. And God comes to him. He says, thank you, God, for all the blessings that you have given me. What's he say? What good is all this? I have no heir. What is he? Ungrateful. <laughs> you can keep going through each one and looking at the ungratefulness that is associated with each person as they begin to embark upon sin. Saul became ungrateful. When God called him, the Lord said, you were small in your eyes then. Now you're huge. Last phrase I, I last phrase I added on, but that's what he was getting to. <laughs> Jeroboam in First Kings twelve, verse twenty six. 
Jeroboam was was given ten tribes out of the out from underneath the reign of David. The prophecy was made. I'm going to give you ten tribes. Two I'm leaving in their hands. Actually, he says one, but we uh, I've worked on that before and figured out how that all came about. But he says, I'm going to give all this to you. And I will make of your house. God said to Jeroboam, I will make of your house an enduring house if you follow after me. And so immediately, as soon as Jeroboam takes the throne, and this is where I pick up here in verse 26. You can go back through and read 11 and 12 and, and see all that went on there if you haven't read that in a while. And Jeroboam said in his heart, Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. What is he? Ungrateful, unthankful to God. He has become selfish. I may lose this. Go back over to our list. He is focused on what is lacking, what others have not done, what could be better, what they, what he has earned. Feeling left out a little bit here. At least they're all going to go and they're going to leave me. Now the kingdom may return to the house of David. If these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of God to Jerusalem, then the heart of this people will turn back to the Lord, Rehoboam, king of Judah, and they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. How did that thought get in his head? Because he became ungrateful for what God has done. Simply by having a thought sown in. The devil comes to him and just as he did with Eve, he sows a thought with Jeroboam. What happens when all those people begin to go up to Jerusalem to offer sacrifices and they leave your kingdom and they go over to that kingdom? How long will it be before they say, why are we going back and forth? Why don't we just go back underneath that kingdom? How long will it be before they get rid of you? He became unsatisfied with what God promised him, with what God said to him. He became unsatisfied with it. And he said, these people go up to offer sacrifices in the house of the Lord at Jerusalem. Then the heart of this people will turn back to the Lord Rehoboam, king of Judah. And they will kill me and go back to Rehoboam, king of Judah. Therefore, the king asked advice. Seemed like he should have asked for that before. <laughs> Made two calves of gold and said to the people, it is too much for you to go up to Jerusalem. Here are your gods, O Israel, which brought you up from the land of Egypt. And he sent it one up in Bethel. And the other he put in Dan. Now this thing became a sin for the people who went to worship before the one as far as Dan. Oh, Jerusalem's too far, but we can go as far as Dan. He made the shrine in the high places and made priests from every class of people who were not uh, the sons of Levi. How does, how does he do that? He goes up to them and begins to sow into this, themselves ungratefulness. Jeroboam does this. He goes up to them and he says, How'd you like to be a priest? Oh, I'm not born in the tribe of Levi. I can't be. I would like to be a priest, but I'm not born in the house of Levi. Who says you can't be a priest? Well, it says in the law. Has God really said that you could not be a priest? I mean, if it's on your heart and you want to be a priest, why can't you be a priest? Under my kingdom, you're going to be a priest. Really? What's he do? He says ungratefulness becomes ripe for the right kind of thought. Puts that thought in there and more people begin to follow in. Now, not everybody does. There's a whole bunch of folks who flock out of here 
out of the northern tribes and they're going down over to the southern tribes because they see that the northern tribes are not following God. Here's what Jeroboam sees. What God started, he, meaning Jeroboam, must perfect. How often do people get that way? What God has started, I've got to perfect it. God got it going, but I need to make it better. God, God started this thing, but you know what? We need to get in there and we need to really fix it. That's where these global warming doofuses... Where they, they get off. How can you think that God made this earth? When we get into Genesis and you see how well He made this earth. It is a travesty for any Christian anywhere of any denomination, of any way they worship God. It is a travesty for any one of them to believe that we contribute to global warming. I cannot say that any stronger, I don't think. They will stand before God and say, You really thought? You puny men could do something to what I created? Have you no idea the greatness of God? <sighs> They're out there talking about all this sort of stuff. Oh, it's just ridiculous. This is what Jeroboam is doing. God got it started, but I need to get in there and I need to really fix it. I need to get this thing going. And man is so stupid that we think the thing that we breathe out Every single day is a contaminant. They've got people in this country believing. And they're, they've set the stage. Now they're going to try and pass all this stuff. Our president's going over to uh, Copenhagen, I think it is. Going to look, look inside in this big old treaty. They passed that treaty, folks. Our country's in a heap of trouble. A heap of trouble. You're looking at paying more money for everything that you have. Every, there will be nothing that you will not pay more for. Everything is going up. How's that going to help your economy? <laughs> what God started, folks, let God finish. I don't, need to, I don't need to perfect it. When we get in the book of, of Revelation, how's God say the world ends? Global warming? No. <laughs> Whatever happens on this globe, folks, is happening because of the sun and because of stuff falling out of the space under the earth. There's nothing to do with carbon dioxide in the air. <laughs> oh, man. They just don't want to read the book. I know they don't read the book because they don't believe it, and that's fine. They'll, they'll uh, hopefully come along, figure it out later on. But when God started, you let God perfect. Don't get in there and be like Jeroboam. He has, he's got to perfect it. This would be described as, well, stupid. You can put any other word in there you want to. But it's stupid. Whatever God started, God can, can finish it. God can perfect it. God can make it the way He wants to. Let God do it. So what are the steps? What are the steps into getting me from a place of being grateful to a place of being ungrateful. What are the steps? There are steps that you can see. And if you go through the Word of God and look at some of the other stories that are out there, you'll see even more. First off, they create dissatisfaction with the present. What must be done is to create dissatisfaction with the present. And you'll see some uh, present-day things where they're doing this. First off, create dissatisfaction with the present. 
The first thing the devil must do is come in and cause you to be dissatisfied. With Eve, she became dissatisfied with a perfect state of existence. Perfect state of existence. She became dissatisfied. No wild animal problems. No pestilence problems. No sunburn problems. They had no problems. Perfect state of existence. And in a few sentences, Satan is able to create ungratefulness and dissatisfaction with their present condition. If he could do it with Eve, if he could do it with Adam, how much easier would we be? We didn't start in a perfected state. They did. So first off, they have to create the satisfaction with the present. Then we go on to a, a longing for a different future or reward. We were suddenly we were all, we were happy. I mean, I'm I'm at a job. I'm making ten dollars an hour. I'm happy until I find out you're making thirteen. Now I'm not happy. But I was perfectly happy before. Now all of a sudden I'm not. What happens? We create a dissatisfaction with the present and a longing for a different future. Well, if you're making 13, I'm worth more than you are. I do more work than you do. I should be getting 14, 15, hey, maybe even 20. A longing for a different future. And generally, whenever you get into that longing for a different future, you're, really, you're willing to get it by any means necessary. So they get a longing for a different future or reward and don't reveal all its ramifications or consequences. Does the devil reveal all of the ramifications or consequences to Eve? What he says was showing a different future. You will know both good and evil. He doesn't say right now you just know good. Eat that, you'll know evil too. Boy, who could turn that one down? All you know is good. I'd be, I'd be ready to go back to that. Just all we know is good. That's all right. So the, he created just that quick a dissatisfaction. Jeroboam went from nothing to being king. And instantly the devil comes in and he's able to cause him to be dissatisfied. How many of you went from nothing to being king would say, well, I'd never be dissatisfied again. No, no, not with that salary. Not with the pay I would get for being king. They get paid a lot. Now, once I get to be king, mm -mm, no, I'm satisfied. The day he takes the throne, he becomes dissatisfied, ungrateful, unthankful. That's what they got to do. A longing for a different future. What's Jeroboam talk about? A future apart from God. A, a future of worshiping golden calves. A future of making his own feast days and priest of whatever people he wants to. He's got a different future, doesn't he? And they don't reveal all its ramifications. You think Satan revealed all this? Now, if you do this, God will turn against you. He doesn't say that, does he? See, people who are out there to create ungrateful people, unthankful people, people who have a dissatisfaction with the present and a longing for a different future, when they come in and they do this, they are not going to tell you all the ramifications of your decision. 
Can you see a present day application of this? Has not our government for all this time been trying to create a dissatisfaction with our present? A longing for a different future? They look to create crisis out of whatever situation they can because in the midst of crisis, I will accept any change to get out of it. Rahm Emanuel was quoted. We cannot let any good crisis go to waste. They look at crisis as opportunity to change things. Government people. You, don't, you can pull any of them out of there. That's what they look at. Crisis is an opportunity to cause people become dissatisfied with where they are, long for a different future, and never tell them all the ramifications of it. We've been telling you all about this healthcare stuff. If you all haven't called your folks and told them about it, you've you got to understand, I hear this stuff on a regular basis. I know how bad this is getting. But already, how many of you, how many of you all know already they want to make mandatory vaccinations for the flu, which may or may not ever harm you, but the vaccination could cause a lot of problems. And they want to make that mandatory. And they're taking a whole lot of things and they're associating it with your health. We've got taxes against things that are making people obese. And because obesity is against your health. So we need to step in. The government needs to step in and control that. I don't know if you all know this or not, but the administration in recent weeks has authorized a study to find out how having a handgun in your house impacts your health. Authorized by this administration to find out how having a handgun... Do people with handguns in their house have more health-related issues than people who don't? Where do you think you're going to go with that? That's only the tip of the iceberg. I'd be here until tomorrow telling you all the stuff that I know of the things that have been authorized, the things that are trying to be tied into your health right now so that when and if they ever get this health thing passed, they will control what you do. They will control. Uh, uh, don't, don't throw this by them. They will control what you're allowed to teach your kids because is that healthy? And you think, no, that's too far-fetched. <laughs> You don't know what has already been done. They will get you on board. How many of y'all, we told you this, if you were here on Wednesday nights, we told you before, all you folks who got on board for taxing cigarettes, I hate cigarette smoking, I don't smoke cigarettes, never have smoked cigarettes, never paid a cigarette tax in my entire life. But I'll fight tooth and nail before I let them just put taxes on stuff like that. But say, well, it'll get you angry at smokers because they blow smoke in your face and they smoke up your restaurant. Yeah, we don't need smokers around. And they'll take that anger towards that and they'll, uh, now we create a crisis. And now we can have laws that regulate smokers. Well, the laws that regulate smokers, folks, can regulate bottled drinking water. And they already have a town that's trying to do that. They can regulate anything they want to once you let them in. You've got you to gotta fight it all the way. This is what they have to do. You will see it with government. You will see it with the press. You will see it with... It is a common tactic. Create dissatisfaction with the present, a longing for different future or reward, and then don't reveal all its ramifications or consequences. 
That's what they want to do. Thank God we got the wisdom of God. Thank God we got the wisdom of God. Now, I don't tell you all this health care stuff because I think that, well, if they pass those stuff, I won't be able to get the health care I need. Folks, I could care less. I don't care for myself one bit. If I don't get the health care I need and my, my faith isn't keeping me here on this earth and I die, oh, well. I mean, come on. Say, thank you very much. I'm on my way. <laughs> this is good. See, I know, what, I know where they're going. And it's not just our government. We're seeing that there's a huge... The, the governments are pulling together. And we're looking at international crises that are on the horizon. And those international crises are going to cause... When you, when you see this monetary thing come to an international crisis, folks, you will see something happen. And you'll say, oh... We are in the end times. It's coming. They've been pushing for it now. They're getting it ready now. Create dissatisfaction with the present. Longing for a different future. Don't reveal its ramifications or consequences. It's the same tactic devil used. The same tactic they use. Same tactic other people use. Because it works. It works if you are satisfied with what you have. <sighs> Eve became dissatisfied with a perfect state of existence. You understand how awesome that is? I mean, I'm just awed. A perfect state of existence can be made better. Jeroboam had the best job in the world. King of a new empire. And all the people were happy. Jeroboam, we'd love to have you as our king. He's going to get to make a new palace. He gets to make the palace. He doesn't inherit one. He builds it the way he wants to build it. He's got all the resources and all the people of the land. And he just says, build that. And build it this way. And I want this. And they build it for him. And they're happy about it. And they spend money on it. He's got all this waiting for him. And he becomes dissatisfied. David had a state of existence that was not scriptural, but he had multiple wives. And he became... <laughs> Judas was traveling with the teacher, the Messiah. And he became... He had his hand in the till, stealing money. And he became... And wanted more. And sold Jesus out for 30 pieces of silver. A guy stealing money out of the treasury. Wants 30 pieces of silver more. Became dissatisfied. Go through the Word of God. This is begin being a thing about stories. Dissatisfaction. It's where it starts. Paul taught us in the New Testament. He said, I found myself that in all states therein to be content. Contentment is bad business for the devil. He cannot sell stuff with contented people. How many of you watch infomercials? What do infomercials do? 
you've been cleaning your windows with the same rag and spray for how long? And now all of a sudden, here is a better way. And you have become dissatisfied with the way you've been cleaning windows. You've gone out and washed your car how many times? But now you see the infomercial and you have become dissatisfied. Because I don't have a sham wow. I don't have that miracle sponge. I don't have that glorious wax that I can burn stuff on my car. When's the last time you burned anything on your car? But now you're dissatisfied because the wax you've been using, not good enough because it's not that. <laughs> you've been buying juice at the grocery store. Then you see the infomercial. Now what happens? I'm dissatisfied. The juice I'm getting is no good. It's got stuff in it. That's supposed to be good stuff. Now better stuff. But apparently if you do it yourself, it'll be even better. So what do we need to do? We need to order the juicer. We need to order the sham wow. We need to order the special wax. And the new super window cleaner. Because now, life will be better. <laughs> How many of y'all got some of those things and you used them for a day or two so and you became dissatisfied with the new thing? But now you got it. And all the ramifications. Three easy payments. <laughs> the first one was easy. It's the second and third one. You're not using it anymore. They're going to come hard. <laughs> but you're not... You're dissatisfied with a new thing. You go back to the old way. <laughs> this is what they want to do. They want to get you... Go oh my God. They get you dissatisfied. The devil wants to come along and say, it can be better. All he needs to do is get you to buy it. The infomercials don't care if you tell your neighbors. They want you to buy it. They want your credit card number. all they want. So a lady, 80 year old lady walking across the street and she comes across the frog and this frog talks to her and says, lady, if you pick me up and kiss me on the lips, I'll turn into a prince. Well, the lady keeps walking on. So the frog calls out later, lady, if you pick me up and kiss me on the lips, I will turn into a beautiful prince. Gets the lady's attention. She comes back over to the frog and she looks at the frog. And the frog pleads, he implores, Please, if you kiss me on the lips, I will become a beautiful prince. Handsome prince. The lady reached down and she picked up the frog and put it in her purse and walked on. She said, At this stage of my life, a talking frog is a whole lot more interesting. The frog did not do a good enough job of creating dissatisfaction with the current state. <laughs> I put in your outline this. The mind of the ungrateful is, fertile, is a fertile field for temptation to root. 
The mind of the ungrateful is a fertile field for temptation to root. Acts 24 and verse 3. We accept it always and in all places, most notably Felix, with all thankfulness. Romans 1.21 Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful. Became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. They were not thankful and their thoughts became darkened. The mind of the ungrateful is a fertile field for temptation to root. We must be on guard against Satan, his forces, our flesh, the news media, and any other thing that would come against us to cause us to fall into a state of discontentment with our present and a longing for a future that we don't have. Because if we do, we are fertile ground for temptation to come in. And we can take a perfect state like Eve and become dissatisfied and go after something else only to find out it wasn't that good. I wish I could go back. I wish I could not have ordered. But you ordered it and it's yours. The devil wants you to order some stuff. And so he's keep coming with infomercials all the time and showing you why you should be dissatisfied with what you have. Why you should be lonely. Why you should be depressed. Why you should be angry. Why you should be hurt. All these situations that begins to throw them at you one after another and you don't even realize it, you have become ungrateful for what you have and you come to prayer to God. But no longer do you enter into His gates with thanksgiving and into His courts with be thankful to Him and bless His name. Bless His name. That's where we need to be. So over the next few weeks, we're going to be studying how do I keep myself in the state of being grateful and not become fertile field for dissatisfaction and unrest, longing for a future that probably will never be realized. But to be content with what God promised, the rest on His Word. Would you all stand up with me? Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You. Your Word is in us. We want to get to the place that when we are squeezed, when the pressure is put on, out comes your word. Out comes praise, thanksgiving, joy. With our mouths, we bless the Lord. We don't allow dissatisfaction with our current state to set in. We remain content in all ways all places that we find ourselves, we are content. For contented people enter into your gates with thanksgiving and into your courts with praise. Contented people, bless the Lord at all times. Father, that's how we want to be. We thank you for it. We give you the praise and the glory for it. In Jesus' name, amen.